Hey Uprightians, it's Matt Chu from Upright Health and welcome back to the Upright Health Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about the message you are not hearing from your doctor. Imagine you have hip pain and you go to see a doctor and the doctor says, let me refer you to a surgeon. And so you see a surgeon and the surgeon tells you, well, I think if we do this surgery, it's going to help you. In fact, I'm so certain, I would say it's a 99% guarantee that if I do the surgery for you, your hip pain will completely resolve. And so you are feeling rather optimistic when you leave that surgeon's office and you think about it and you think, well, all right, maybe I'll do this. But before I rush into this, I'm just going to do my due diligence and I'm going to talk to uh, another doctor and see what that doctor has to say. And so you go to another doctor, also a surgeon, and he says, well, you know, um, we could do this surgery. Um, it might work. I can't really guarantee it'll work. It will probably take away the pain, but it's probably not going to fix the range of motion problems that you have. And so you leave that appointment feeling a little bit confused because now you've talked to two doctors and they've given you very different pieces of information. One of them has said that you are basically guaranteed a positive outcome if you undergo surgery, and another has said, well, it's a little more ambiguous than that. So you go to a third surgeon and get an opinion, and that doctor says, you know, uh, in the past I would have suggested surgery, but uh, I've actually seen literature that says um, surgery for this probably won't work. So basically the best thing that you can do now is just wait for the pain to get so bad that we can do a more severe surgery, basically a hip replacement. Um, everything else would probably not even be worth your time and would only buy you a couple years at best before you need to get the full hip replacement anyway. So now you've seen three surgeons and you've received three different pieces of information, um, three very different narratives about what your outcomes could be. Are you feeling very confident in your decision? So if you think about this, you're probably not feeling that great. And this is a situation that uh, I've actually had presented to me by many, many, many of our clients. So we've worked with a lot of people with hip pain and all kinds of other issues. And they tell us these stories of seeing different surgeons and getting wildly different stories. And this is something that's common, not just with hip pain, but for all kinds of issues. And it's, um, it's a phenomenon that many people underappreciate and, um, kind of miss the main point about. So uh, sometimes people will hear stories like this and say, well, you know, maybe it's just because some doctors are more up to date on the research and that's why they're giving different information and some of them are less up to date. And they'll say, well, you know, the ones who are more up to date are the ones you should listen uh, to, right? Which on the face sounds right. But there's a message here that a lot of times we miss. It's a message that people are missing when they hear so many conflicting pieces of information. 
And I, I want to give you one other example of how, how this shows up um, historically. So <clears throat> once you get this perspective and you see how this has played out historically, it starts becoming more clear what the message is in between the uh, in between the lines, really. If you're listening in between the lines, you start to realize, oh, there's a larger context that you need to keep in mind anytime you're talking with a doctor or really with anybody who is supposed to be an expert about things about you. So uh, it's well known that in the past, doctors used to try to cure all kinds of diseases with leeches, right? So leeches might cure your fever, or leeches might cure consumption, it might um, cure your aching whatever, right? Leeches will bleed you, uh, not dry, but bleed out the um, offending bad stuff in your body, right? So that was, at one point in time, a very strong belief in the medical world. Uh, more recently, we had the um, introduction of back surgery for back pain, and for many, many years, and still in some parts of the world, some parts of the United States, you'll still find people saying that the best way to treat back pain is to treat it surgically, that really your best bet is to just go ahead and cut in there, and that is going to fix why, you know, fix the source of your back pain. Okay. Uh, a, another more recent one was the idea that opiates are not addictive. Um, doctors for many years have been saying, oh yeah, yeah, these back pain pills or these, these pain pills that we're giving you for your shoulder or your knee or giving you to help you recover from that car accident, these things are not addictive. Based on everything we know, they're not addictive. So it's okay for you to take them. Now, these are just three examples historically um, from the medical world that we now see as being almost laughably um, backwards, right? We, the idea of using leeches to cure a bunch of diseases sounds absolutely insane. Um, the idea to fix everybody's back pain with surgery has been shown to be... Um, basically nonsensical and extremely dangerous. Well, if you're unlucky, extremely dangerous, right? Cutting into your spine, if it goes wrong, is really not that great for you. And then the outcomes of sitting on your butt trying to recover from the surgery has its own um, can of worms. And opiates, um, I think we are all well aware now that they are quite addictive and can be quite addictive and recklessly prescribing them to people to get rid of all kinds of aches and pains has been a, uh, a huge national problem that is leading to deaths. So when we look at these three examples, we, we can look at all these and say, hey, um, you know, well, now that the research has caught up, um, now we can, we can confidently say these things are all bad. And so what's the problem? There's no problem here. The information, our knowledge base has improved, so doctors know more now, so there's no problem here. Right, Matt? Like, if the doctors are keeping up to date, then we know that the information is right and that as patients, as, as lay people, we can just trust what the doctor says. So the message 
that people are often missing, the key point that people are missing here is that the information available is constantly changing over time and that the information you receive from any one doctor is not guaranteed to be reliable. And that has some very important implications for you as a person. So let's dive into that a little bit deeper. A doctor is still just a human being. And as we've noted, some doctors keep up to date with research. Some of them may not be as up to date as others. So what they tell you may not actually be the most current information. If that's the case and you have a problem and they give you information that is not up to date, but which they still believe is true, it doesn't make the doctor a bad person. It just means the doctor is a person who is just unfortunately not as up to date as he or she thinks they are. Now, if you are a person who is considering some sort of treatment, like we were talking about uh, surgery for hip pain at the beginning of this episode, that means you have to sort out what is fact and what is fiction, right? You actually have to recognize that doctors cannot possibly be infallible and you cannot possibly expect them to have perfect infallible information all the time. Now, I'm not saying you should never see a doctor. I think when you have a traumatic injury, you have serious infections and diseases, um, it's definitely necessary to see a doctor. But what I'm suggesting and what I'm trying to bring to light here is that you can't just assume that what a person transmits to you, whether they have a degree or a certification or whatever it is, whatever they transmit to you, you can't necessarily take it at face value all the time. Particularly in, in the health world, things change so rapidly, you just can't reasonably expect um, a doctor who is slammed with patients back to back to back to be able to stay up to date and give you all of the correct information every time, right? So there's that, right? Medical knowledge is changing all the time. No one individual is going to be able to keep up with all of it. And as you will see, if you ever bounce from doctor to doctor and ask different questions, the knowledge base for any individual can be very individualized and very different from person to person. So that adds a huge amount of ambiguity to what you hear from any doctor, surgeon, or what have you. So you have to keep that in mind as a regular person. Another thing to think about <clears throat> is whether or not doctors are generally going to be able to give you good advice when you are thinking about problems that arise as a result of processes. 
So I've already said that doctors are fantastic when you've got a traumatic injury, you got some infection, you have some disease, but are they really that helpful when you are looking at a problem that comes from a process, you know, you might think of these as lifestyle issues, right? The two key process, process-driven um, arenas where problems arise are nutrition and exercise. And this is another example, um, I think, where history gives us a very important perspective. So um, if you rewind like 30 years, everyone used to say that fat was the worst thing. Fat was the worst thing. You don't want to be eating fat because fat makes you fat. So just focus on your fat-free cereal and your fat-free whatevers, and that will keep you not fat. And if you've been around for the last 10 years, you've probably noticed, and especially in the last couple of years, you've noticed that fat is no longer the bad guy. Now it's always carbs, right? And so carbs, carbs, carbs are the big problem. Um, and this actually happened. I, uh, my, my wife and I just had our first kid, and after the delivery, we were in the hospital, and they, they brought a, a menu of food that they served to um, patients in the hospital so we could order something um, for my wife um, while she was recovering from labor and delivery. And I was looking at the menu and it was, it was, I, I, I literally laughed out loud. Like I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Right. So here in a, um, what, what is generally considered a pretty good medical facility, um, they had this menu that had a list of wellness meals, right? These were meals that were supposed to um, be healthier options for the patients, guests, and employees. And um, one, of the, one of the things that caught my eye, really the thing that caught my eye, was that they had some nutritional information on this menu here in the hospital. And what they focused on was the number of carbs in any given food item. So there was a turkey bistro meal that had turkey and string cheese, hummus, cucumber, carrots, celery, grapes, whole wheat roll. Okay, doesn't sound like anything processed or super processed besides that string cheese. Um, seems like a reasonably okay meal. So tell me about this meal. What kind of nutritional information would this hospital give me about the food I was about to eat? Well, or that I was about to have my wife eat. Well, you look at it, and right next to it is the carb count. It's just carbohydrates, 51 carbohydrates. There's no protein, no fat, no total calories. There is uh, another, um, another uh, part to the menu that showed me um, things from the bakery. So I could, could order a muffin, blueberry, bran, or corn muffin, 28 carbs. No other information. I could look at... A fruit yogurt parfait with granola, 30 carbs. No other information. I could order whole grain French toast, 22 carbs. No other information. And then what was really interesting was they said if any item had less than 5 grams of carbs, it wouldn't list any information. So, for example, scrambled eggs, there's no nutritional information. Hard-cooked egg, no nutritional information. Um, so... All of a sudden, I'm in a hospital, I am in a medical facility, and the advice being that the advice for nutrition is simply to count your carbs and nothing else, as if the calories don't matter, as if 
the macronutrients, the fat and the protein and the carb ratios don't matter. This to me was just such a um, just such a glaring example of the the shifting and ineffective emphasis on simple answers in these types of process driven issues. So the this hospital went from okay, let's go fat free to let's just go carb free but not really carb free let's just get you obsessed about carbs when really your how you eat is much more complicated than that right it's not like a crazy complex thing but just giving at least a little more information is actually necessary for people to make an intelligent healthy choice and that's not on offer right it you know you can argue whether or not this has this this uh, carb obsession comes from the medical system, but it's really besides the point. The, the point is that even if you say this all comes from pop culture and marketing, it's infiltrated the medical system to the point where a hospital is putting out menus that literally has an insanely simplistic and basically idiotic representation of how you make choices about what you eat. Now, you know, if we think about exercise, it's a really similar story, right? You you get these recommendations that are insanely simplistic. You just need to get 30 minutes of exercise a day, I've heard, right? Just 30 minutes of exercise three times a week. That's all you need. Um, I've heard uh, clients tell me things that were just, I mean, I, my jaw literally dropped. I, I had this one client who was in his 90s, and um, he had gotten a hip replacement, and um, you know, when he showed up, he said, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm totally off kilter. I'm, I'm really asymmetrical. <clears throat> it's been several months since the surgery. I'm really asymmetrical. Um, and it feels like my hip and my knee are hurting. Uh, and I'd like to figure out if there's a way to, to improve this. I don't know if it's possible given my age, but I, I would like this to improve. Um, and I, I asked them, you know, did you do any sort of physical therapy after the surgery? Did you do, you know, did, were you under the care of anybody to help you learn to retrain these muscles that, that are certainly at least in some way traumatized, if not fully atrophied from just the recovery? And he said, no, you know, my doctor, my surgeon actually said that I don't need physical therapy. The only thing I need to do is walk. That's the best exercise. You don't need to do any exercise but walking. And if you had seen this guy walking, you would know, you would understand why my jaw dropped. He, he felt asymmetrical because he was asymmetrical. He was listing to one side. The muscles on, on each side of his pelvis were working in very different ways. Um, and in, in fact, uh, it turned out that the actual... Um, surgery for the hip replacement actually made his femur too long so that was a whole other issue right but here he was being told that this motivated man who wanted to learn to exercise better and wanted to get his body to move better here he was being told no 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 just just walk walking is the best exercise quite simply the best and the reality of life is that there is no such thing as the one best for everybody right? That's a, a key point that gets lost. There, in these kinds of process-driven 
aspects of our lives. There is no just one best. Walking certainly is not always the best. It's good. It's, um, it's a natural human movement. It's something you should expect yourself to be able to do easily and without pain. But you can certainly do it poorly. I've seen people walking with really bad form. If you sprain your ankle ever or torque the knee ever, you know that you were not walking properly for a week or two or three or more. And you know that that has effects on the muscle firing patterns over time. And that you need to learn and relearn how to walk more effectively if you don't want those sensations to stick around. Now, the, the upshot to all this with nutrition and exercise is not that doctors, again, are bad people. They're not, right? It's that you have to recognize that somebody who sees you for a maximum of 10 to 15 minutes in, a, in an appointment cannot possibly grasp all the variables involved for you as an individual, right? They cannot know everything that happens to you, everything that you do, everything that you eat. They can't know all the information that's necessary to help you make the best choices that will improve your outcomes based on the process, right? It's like, it's like when I say process, if I am constantly eating crappy food, if I eat nothing but McDonald's for, you know, or any kind of fast food, let's not just single out McDonald's. I only thought of that because of that uh, documentary, Supersize Me. But if you, um, if you eat fast food every day, every meal, and then you don't tell your doctor that, what can your doctor do to help you? The doctor can see, well, here are the metrics. You're overweight. You know, your blood pressure is high. You have poor cardiovascular health. Um, what can they do? To, what can they tell you to help you? There's, there's so many things going on that they, they, and if they don't know them, they can't help you. Let's say you eat fast food all day, every day. You don't sleep enough. You have a very stressful job. You never exercise what could the doctor possibly do for you in 10 to 15 minutes that's going to fix all that? Your body's aching, your stomach feels bad, you get headaches all the time. A doctor could try to alleviate those symptoms for you and give you drugs and give you, you know, a suggestion that you go walk for 30 minutes three times a week. But ultimately, you're the one who knows the information that's necessary to fix the problems. Right? Your mission as a human who wants to feel good, as a human who wants to live well and live comfortably, is actually to be your own scientist. Right? You have to learn your own needs, you have to observe yourself, and you need to see how your body responds to the inputs in your life. Let's say you are that person, you're constantly eating fast food, you're never getting enough sleep, you're never exercising. You would need to say to yourself, is it possible that some of these processes are influencing the way I feel? Um, and I would hope that you would say, yes, I, I think it's possible. And then you would need to start making changes, right? Maybe you eat less fast food. Maybe you start cooking at home a little more often. Maybe you do go for a walk for 15 minutes every single day. Maybe you go to the gym and you start to lift a little bit of weight and see what happens, how you start feeling over time, right? It's not a question of does it fix things right now. It's a question of whether it fixes things over time, whether you feel your body responding to those new inputs gradually. 
right? In the, in the realm of nutrition, this can be really, really um, frustrating for a lot of people, right? It's certainly uh, been an interesting learning experience for me and in, in my life. Um, but in nutrition, right, is you, you do need to do things like identify whether you're sensitive to specific foods, right? Some people like me can't really have dairy. Otherwise, your skin gets screwed up. You start sneezing all the time. You get um, what feel like seasonal allergies with the eyes itching and getting all scratchy and burny. Um, I actually recently discovered that I'm sensitive to chocolate, which is just kills me. But it definitely causes seasonal allergy symptoms every time I have a sufficient amount of chocolate. So, you know, you have to do testing on yourself to say, like, hey, are oats something that I'm sensitive to? Are walnuts something? Uh, I'm just picking out things that I've found in my life are a little bit, um, uh, that, that tend to trigger my body. Um, I discovered as a as a, um, as a person with Chinese descent, I discovered that eating white rice kills my energy levels and makes me cough at night and makes me fall asleep in the middle of the day. So I literally cannot eat white rice despite being of Chinese descent. So that sounds really crazy, but with observation it, and with testing and experimenting, it's obviously true. Now, there is no way a doctor could possibly tell me that. I have to take the responsibility to do that investigation for myself. In the realm of exercise, you need to ask yourself, are you getting enough? Are you doing too much? Right? That's, that's an option people don't think about, but tons of people have um, either emailed me or met with me as a client, and it was very clear that they were doing too much. That, that's a very common problem for people with hip pain, um, particularly people like in the, in the you know, fitness world who are doing boot camp or really intense styles of exercise with a very high volume of exercise and high intensity of exercises. Um, people who are doing too much also end up with pain. People who are doing too little get, a, get pain, but it, the solution is different, right? And... In, in the context of all this, you also want to think about, do you understand how specific exercises affect your body? We've seen that so many times with people who have, um, who've been told they have a labral tear in their hip or they have FAI, a doctor or a PT will say, oh, well, you know, you just need to do more leg exercises, right? And they do more of these leg exercises that make things worse, but because the PT said to do these exercises, they keep doing them, even though it keeps making things worse, right? Um, again, that comes down to empirical observation. You need to look, is this affecting me the way I want it to or not? And if not, what do I need to adjust to get the right inputs to put this process in the right direction, right? Maybe I need to train this muscle group more. Maybe this muscle group more. Maybe this muscle group needs to be stretched more. Maybe this needs to be worked less, right? That is a process that you have to engage in to get results for your body. And that's the message that people are missing when they're not getting the results they want and when an expert is telling them what they think they need, right? So the idea that you really need to remember is that nobody can do this investigation process for you. It, there, are no, there are no blood tests, there are no screens, there are no genetic tests. There is nothing that will give you all the information that you want 
besides experimenting with movements and experimenting with food, for example. Whenever there is an outcome that is process-driven for your body, the, the one person that can actually do the most for you is you, right? It has to be you. And that's, that's a key idea that we, get, uh, we try to get across to every single person we ever come in contact with. If you ever want to be one of our clients, we actually we currently um, we currently have an orientation program that you actually must take. We force you to take this orientation course on our website so that you understand this concept. You're gonna be doing the work, right? What can be helpful is a coach, right? Or somebody who can help you observe, also who can kind of guide your eye, but ultimately you are the one who has to be paying attention to all the inputs in the process because it's your body, it's your life, it's your time constraints, it's what you choose to do that ultimately affects how you end up feeling. So to recap, you have to listen between the lines if you're getting conflicting information from different experts. Right? You have to realize that humans are fallible Everybody is fallible. What we all know is um, highly dependent on the available information that the consensus um, has brought to the surface, right? What a doctor believes is true may or may not be true. And if the consequences of inaccuracy are higher than you will, you are willing to tolerate, then you got to do some of your own homework. Um, doctors are not bad people. I'm not trying to demonize anybody, but you need to take responsibility for your own body and your own life in all those process-driven areas in your life, like nutrition and exercise. Um, I hope that helps you. If you need ideas, if you are looking for exercise programs to help you make the progress that you are looking for, help you just start moving well so that you can move more, then be sure to check out our do-it-yourself programs on our website at uprighthealth.com DIY. You can look at our YouTube channel. Check out all the different exercises we got up there, hundreds of videos of different ideas to help you make progress with your body. If you're somebody who has um, specific hip issues, definitely check out our do-it-yourself programs. If you've been told you have FAI, check out the FAI fix that is designed for you. Check out our blog posts, read up, do your homework, learn about your body, learn about yourself. And as always, please remember that pain sucks. Life shouldn't. <laughs>